Testies, testies, one, two, three. Anyway, so yeah, we're live now. I already pressed the button. <laughs> so that's how. That's how. That we, was on. That was recorded. Ah, welcome to the Wonton Wednesday podcast with me, your host Stephen Augustine. Um, here today with a very good friend of mine, Joe Brown, uh, also known as Bro or Broseppi. Sometimes it's the Italian. It is the Italian. Very. Very, not the word. (laughs) It's doing the genetic makeup less Italian than I thought. Really? I come from a very Italian family. And according to one of those send away DNAs, I am predominantly Scottish. That's pretty awesome. And then very, very, very Slavic. I am... Very Polish with an Italian last name. (laughs) It's not spelled the traditional way, though. Or is it the traditional Italian spelling? Um, It's Americanized by my grandpa, who was not the one that emigrated here. So my great-grandpa was Augustini, A-G-U-S-T-I-N-I. And my grandpa just always pronounced it Augustine. And like a teacher in like the second or third grade said, well, you're spelling it wrong then. Put an E at the end. So there's a few random legal paperworks that he has his entire life that say Augustini. The rest of them say Augustine. Really? That's how the name got changed. Very interesting. Yeah, the the whole European uh, side um, on both sides uh, did not the 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 Celtic side did not change any of the spellings. Hence, the brown with an e. Um, on the other side, however, everything was, everything was changed just because it was alphabet soup coming from Italy. And then the Slavic side, like completely changed. Cause you look at five letters that make a, a very long pronounced name and they're like, yeah, we, we can't do it like that. So <laughs> they changed it. It's Smith now. Uh, or Smythe. How do you want it? Uh, so good. Good. Yeah, well, Wonton Wednesday. Welcome to the Wonton Wednesday podcast. Uh, After I've said your name, I guess we don't have to ask who you are. So that's a that's a more esoteric approach. Uh, I am Joe Brown with an E. Um, I guess that's the Scotch, not not like the single malt variety. Although we can delve into that on an. Are you a blend? I don't. I don't want to blend. No, but are you a blend? Oh, I'm. I'm a different kind. Let's compare you to a blended Scotch. Which one are you, Doers or Blue Label? So Blue is, Blue is not a blend. I think, I think Gold is a blend. I think Blue is a single malt. Okay. Because even Black is a single malt. But I think Gold is similar to Doers, fifteen, where they take multiple fifteen-year-aged scotches. And they blend them together, which I, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll drink it, neat, obviously, but uh, why take a single malt that's aged that long and then meld it with others that are aged that, that I, I don't understand the concept. I mean, it's a decent sipping whiskey, but if, it's, if you have a single malt and you're going to put that much time and energy into it, why not just enjoy it as is without blending it? I don't have the answer to that. Um, perhaps we can get the answer to that because that's a question that I'm asking. 
Well, if anybody does have the answer to that, uh, let us know. Yeah, like, please. All right. So now that I guess we got that out of the way, uh, where are you from? So, Not just esoterically. Uh, yeah, planet Earth. Um, my, uh, <laughs> my, I am a vibration from the universe. Uh, my chakra is aligned with Uranus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah. Way to go on that one, Steve. Uh, well, actually in the same vein, no, no pun intended, uh, as, as Uranus, uh, I'm a mass hole originally. Uh, born outside of Boston, Mass. Uh, my The Brown family, actually, uh, is originally from the Northeast and uh, moved out here to the lovely, gray, barren wasteland of western New York um, in early elementary school. Um, so floated just south of, uh, of Buffalo, New York, for a majority of my life, uh, and then ended up here, uh, where you and I both graduated from high school. Um, I came here in what is now considered middle school, so fifth grade. Yeah, that tracks about, right? So, yeah, and spent, uh, spent time in early adulthood uh, when I was on active duty. Uh, I spent uh, about a year in Texas, and then uh, the remainder of my, of my time in North Carolina, similar to you. Um, and we were not tremendously far away from each other, uh, with you being in Jacksonville and me um, about an hour outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. Greensboro, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. Goldsboro. Goldsboro, sorry. Different color, same borough. Yeah. That's I knew it was a borough. It is a, it, it is a, a borough. I know the name of the base. You should you do, give me that much. And it's all about that base. Seeing more Johnson. You just have to see more of it. Which, Seymour Johnson was a naval aviator, not an Which, Air Force aviator. Right, and, and talk about the, the DOD's intelligence. It's like the... Uh, the he Navy. was local, though. He was local. He, he was a local from... So why not put a, a Navy installation, minus the fact that it's landlocked, but, I mean, could, he could have he been uh, in Moorhead City, North Carolina. I mean, he could be Seymour Johnson in Moorhead City. I mean, it is a great place to see more Johnsons. Oh, Jesus. So yeah, um, that's a that's a summary ish of um, early of where I'm from, and I life. I've been here, back here, uh, since age 22. Uh, so about 15 years, almost uh, almost 16 years now that uh, that I've been back, and uh, have have been in the home that we were doing this podcast in for almost six years. And uh, it's one of those things, as, as many of your listeners may agree, um, I don't ever want to move again. Um, bouncing between you know, different places, different installations, you know, college, all that stuff. Like, I don't really want to pack up all my stuff and, and have to move it again. So, yeah. I feel you there. Yeah. So then, um, let's start with, uh, how should we say this easily, your fitness journey. Where did it begin? Uh, my, my journey, my truth, right? Uh, so, obviously, um, you know, I, I've, I've mentioned being, uh, being a veteran, and if you would imagine actually being completely unhealthy uh, on active duty, that's, uh, that's actually a thing. If you, 
if you see soldier, soldiers, airmen, marines who are way outside the parameters of what you would call uh, the military expectations, uh, that was actually me at one point. There was uh, like a year and a half of me just being tremendously unhealthy. But it's also incredibly common. I mean, you're working 14, 16 hour shifts. And, you know, when you're not on, when you're not on shift and all you want to do is sleep, like you go home, you, you eat, especially, um, especially chow at the, the chow halls, man. Like you have access to whatever you want and you just eat, you just eat. And then you, you don't do any PT because you're exhausted and you fall asleep, you wake up, you have another massive quantity of food that the uh, DOD issues to you and you just rinse and repeat. And, uh, and that rinse is usually full of calories too. Oh, 100%. You uh, get off shift and all you want to do besides eat is maybe drink. And uh, yeah, we, we definitely dabbled in that life too. Drink beers after work. The, the chow hall food oh, yeah. is comes with complimentary uh, Coca-Cola or Powerade. Dealer's choice. Well, both just saturated in sugars oh yeah it's liquid sugar love it so um the the fitness journey uh minus that like year and a half of me being tremendously unhealthy um i was a three-sport athlete uh growing up all the way even from upper elementary i was probably more of a a five-sport athlete at that point because i was still playing soccer and little league but um primarily i was uh, a hockey player with uh a love and a, a decent talent at football and the same with, uh, with lacrosse specifically from middle school through high school. Um, and our, our school, as you well know, uh, did not have a lacrosse team. So I had to travel about 40 minutes North to find a, a travel team. And I, I played on that team for, I want to say five seasons, maybe six up until, um, senior year. I didn't play that year. I, I was working and, you know, you and I had both enlisted at that point and, Yep, we were getting ready to uh, getting ready to depart and travel across was just one of those things like it was just not something I was ready, willing, and able to do at that point. I wanted to make some money before I left and see everyone and you know do the uh, do the summer experience, if you will, before uh, shipping out. So that was uh, that was that that was that summer leading up. So, um, but yeah, multiple sports in. Uh, Middle and into high school, I, I, I dropped uh, I dropped the baseball, I dropped the soccer and, and focused primarily on um, on hockey. I was I was relatively well recruited when I was in high school um, to end up So yeah, both times. Well, we're back now. And by both times, he means that uh, we tried to record this before, and I forgot to put the micro SD card in because I'm a genius. <sighs> Gotta love it. <sighs> Smartest man alive. So we were talking about three-sport athlete. Yes, indeed. Um, where did we leave off? Uh, uh, primarily hockey. Yeah, you primarily were heavily hockey. recruited, and then you decided to... Um, well, so our our junior year... Um, in the fall, um, good year, by the way, good year athletically. Um, I was, uh, I was a starting goaltender, uh, for our hockey team 
uh, as, a, as a junior. I was actually a starting goaltender on a varsity team freshman year, but that was at a prep school, so that was different. Um, but, yeah, good year for football, really good year for hockey. Um, actually, a pretty decent year for travel lacrosse, too. I was, uh, I was a defenseman, and um, I had the only two uh, field knockouts uh, of the year. Um, moving on a slide, coming around the net. Uh, I, I remember it, which is good, because I remember it. Uh, I don't know that the other player from the opposing team does, but um, open field hits, man, very different in lacrosse than in any other sport. Um, you're allowed to cross-check, right? To an extent. Your hands can be apart, but not a tremendous amount. Like, And referees will will call it if they see it, but, I mean, slashing for sure. Um, but when you're, it, when you're trying to do, uh, a slide in the offense, like on attack, they'll try to set a pick. I mean, I would just run right through them. Um, same thing with on a slide. If, uh, if they were coming around the cage, just run face first into them. Um, you know, I, I'm not the most imposing figure, but, um, I was definitely, Stout at that point, I was probably close to close to six feet tall, definitely two hundred plus pounds. Um, that's uh, sizable. So yeah, a lot of a lot of collision sports, and I, I do want to specify for for any listeners, there's a difference between contact sports and collision sports. Basketball is very much a contact sport. I fully agree that when people make the argument that. You know, basketball is a contact sport. True, it is, because you are making contact continuously. But there's also a sub-sect of athletics, in particular football, hockey, lacrosse. Those are collision sports, very different. Not only are you making contact, but you are full force colliding with people. And on the ice, I mean, you're going, you're going 20 miles per hour, like... That's a heavy collision. Which is mass times acceleration is your force. So lighter guys can make a harder fucking hit than in football. And especially if you have that low center of gravity, there is a particular uh, defenseman. It was my junior year in hockey. He was a senior at our school. Um, he was actually a Marine, uh, DJ. Um, okay. He would upend people. He was 5'7", maybe 5'8", but he was 175, 180 pounds of just density. And that kid could fly. And his low center of gravity, he would hip check or he would just skate through and just level people. Absolutely level. It was awesome. Awesome. Some of the most violent collisions I've seen. It's great. Nice. Uh, we had a guy on, uh, on my college team, similar build, um, the old school, like, hip check. Um, you know, someone would try to get by going on the wing, and he would just drive that hip skating backwards and just upend them. Really, like, classic old school hit. Really cool to see. Canadian or American? Um, Long Islander, actually. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, very, very, very physical player. So, cool to see. But, um, yeah, that, uh, that love of violence of action, if you will, um, led to kind of where we are now. Um, every once in a while, I'll, I'll still skate and you know, jump out in, uh, in a bar league game or something like that or a pickup. Um, 
up until this last year still playing um and this is an oxymoron much like military intelligence but uh the oxymoron is full contact flag football it's eight versus eight in an adult league and from the line of scrimmage it is full contact no pads no helmets Mm -hmm. but no tackling so you you have to the quote-unquote tackle is made by pulling the flag but you can downfield block you can open field block and I was playing uh, I was playing nose tackle the last like four or five years um, I've very much grown into the uh, the man body if you will and that's somewhere down the line on our list of things to talk about the difference between man strength man body versus um, adolescent into young adult uh, development and I had this conversation with um, with my fighters the other day and we'll dive into that but um, full force of action as soon as that ball is snapped like we can live block and as a nose tackle um, trying to run through the the center and the the guard tackle whatever because you're three offensive linemen versus three defensive linemen um, it's just awesome so full speed full contact um, and now uh, as I alluded to uh, my fitness journey my fitness truth if you will uh, has led me to be a, a combat sports uh, coach between uh, boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, and uh, some grappling. Uh, we have uh, a gym right here in town, right downtown. Uh, we call it the Dungeon. Uh, we're <laughs> during COVID, we had our own facility, and uh, we let the lease lapse. And we're now leasing a different place that's a little bit more centrally located. Um, and it's a it's like a twenty two hundred square foot basement uh, of a of an old building and it's, um, it's we're making we're making do but uh, we have a number of uh, up-and-coming fighters uh, in the in the boxing world we we're going into a, a golden gloves uh, tournament actually in the next couple weeks which is really cool um, and then we have uh, a number of fighters who are uh, in the amateur ranks right now in Western New York for Muay Thai and K1 style uh, kickboxing we have a couple Individuals who want to uh, make the transition and make their debut in full-out um, mixed martial arts, which is really cool. So um, that's uh, that's a hobby that I, I still maintain. Um, full spar once a week, every Tuesday night, which is uh, which is awesome because that's a very conveniently located day and time during the work week. Um, Tuesdays are just Tuesdays are just the worst day of the week. I don't know why that is, but the last like ten years, I don't, I don't know if you have anything similar, but uh, yeah, I've been saying that for about longer than ten years. Yeah, that Tuesday I, is the worst day of the week because Monday you're just like ah oh, fuck and just getting everything ready, and then like you're actually doing the ah oh, crap. Well, that's the thing. Like you can mentally prepare yourself for a Monday. Everyone can. You can do that on a Sunday night. Like yeah, I got to go to work. All right, but then Tuesday, like the novelty of Monday is worn off. You're not in the middle of the week like Wednesday. It's not Friday Eve like Thursday. And it's not the cusp of the weekend like Friday. Tuesday is just a barren wasteland. But you still get to say it's Taco Tuesday. Silver lining. That is the silver lining. Silver lining. If you have a good taco place or if you can yourself cook good tacos, which you, you can. I can.
can, but a lot of the times on Tuesdays, I'm not in a place where I can cook because Fair I'm enough. in a hotel room. So it's like, what do we got around here for tacos? You find any good trucks or any good places? Uh, up where I'm working right now, I haven't really looked, and it's February, so there's nothing really out food yeah, truck-wise. Food trucks, yeah. I have taken a look around, and there's some decent Mediterranean places, it looks like. Can pizza. You, can you consider something wrapped in a pita as a taco? Oh, shawarma, I would definitely say so. Definitely even a gyro. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Gyro, the Mediterranean street taco? Come on. Do you prefer the lamb or the beef? Depends on the day. And if they're making it on the spit thing, or if it's like that pre-made shaved stuff that kind of yeah, similarly yeah. looks like uh, the pre-made like Philly cheesesteak slices. Yeah. Like if it's those, like I don't know if it really matters, but if it's on that spit and it's spinning and they're like cutting it off and it looks like strips of a triangle, like a Toblerone bar of meat, uh, that just saying that it actually just made me kind of happy. <laughs> Toblerone bar of meat. <laughs> then they're that might in. be a new. That's a new catchphrase. That's gonna. <laughs> that's gonna take on somewhere. I'm not certain where. I don't know yet. We, I'm gonna start it. I'm like, oh yeah, like well. a Toblerone of meat. You should. You should trademark that. I should figure that one out. And then, uh, yeah, and then you know they put that on the on the flatbread with the onion, tomato, lettuce, and tzatziki, and just up. Give me that. I am getting the uh, at least two of them, and I'm probably going to fall asleep afterwards because it's like, you know, Christmas for me, but it's Thursday or whatever it is. Yeah, but it's Tuesday. Thanksgiving on a Tuesday. Like, yeah. Mediterranean Thanksgiving on a Tuesday. Oh, yeah. Get you two euros and just fucking have a nap afterwards. Call it a day. I dig it. Oh, yeah. That's probably why they have, like... The Spanish-style siesta at lunch, too, probably. I'm pretty sure that's a Greek thing also, if not Mediterranean, because most of it's to get out of the heat of the middle of the day, which is why they do the big meal with the family then. Absolutely. I'm totally down for that. I'm like, why couldn't we get that party boat? We missed that party boat. Fucking England. Shitty weather. We're like, oh, let's work all day. And here we are. Brutal. <sighs> anyway. At the same well, time, we got the Second Amendment. We do have that, well, a republic if you can keep it. Very true. But we were talking about fitness, and we went hard left turn. Well, we were talking hard about right tacos turn. and fitting tacos and fitting this taco in your mouth. I'm into fitness. Fitness, fitness taco. Fitting all the food <laughs> in my mouth. So sports, science, energy, electrolytes, uh, kickboxing. Yeah, that's been that's been the uh, that's been the craze lately, and. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. We um, we do have some amateur title fights actually lined up uh, about two months from now. Um, really looking forward to that. So um, being on this side, like now, you know, as, as we rapidly approach 40, um, the body's on, I wouldn't say the decline. I don't want to say that just yet, but. Maintenance not, mode. Maintenance, yeah. And, and, and that's unfortunately the reality, like, with both of our professions, we're on our feet a majority of the day. And when we're not on our feet, what we're doing is mentally taxing. And by the end of, by the end of a day, you know, out the door at 6.30, back in the door, 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night, depending on the day. Some, sometimes, like, don't get me wrong, sometimes it's 5, and that's great. But even on those days, it's just how much effort can we really put in? Um, 
So it's, it's much more maintenance. And, you know, that's not all bad. It's not all good. It's definitely not all good because, um, you know, especially at this age, like we're predisposed to the, uh, the old atrophy and it's hard. It's hard. Any, you know, anyone listening that's in a, a similar position, like that struggle is very real. Um, so it's finding the, the motivation, the dedication, um, having a, a training partner, huge. Good um, training partners are, yeah. I mean, worth, worth their weight. Uh, whether it's whether it's a spouse, a significant other, friend, whatever, um, or you remember you remember the movie Heavyweights? Yes, Lars, the guy that would just yell out on the dock. Oh yeah! So he used to yell "buddy" for the buddy swim. Mm-hmm. What if you have someone who's a buddy who keeps you accountable, an accountability buddy? Ooh, I like that do like that accountability buddy kind of like what we do from each other from yes, afar from afar so because i travel for work and i'm very stationary so having even someone just like doesn't matter if they're on the other side of the continent you can literally text and be like hey what maintenance did you do today hey what kind of effort did you put in today hey do you need like a rehab day or a stretching day or a i just want to eat some fucking pizza day what do you need? That's your accountability buddy. Yeah. So we definitely have those. Definitely have those. And Steve and I do, to a pretty decent extent, do that for each other. Yep. Um, and uh, yeah, so it doesn't matter who it is. You just need someone or multiple. It's even better. It's even better in like the pack mentality. And that's, uh, that's something that we very much have. Um, at our gym, especially when we're all in that training mode. Like right now we are in full spin up training mode. So everyone needs to be eating clean, hydrating, watching their weight, making sure that any bumps, bruises, or lingering hurts are taken care of. Um, making sure that the hurts don't turn into injuries because you can, I'm, I'm certain that you've, you've heard this, whether it was a coach or a friend or whatever, you can play and you can fight hurt totally do that you cannot and should not play or fight injured big difference. Yes. big difference mm-hmm. um so you know for for us that are seasoned hurts happen injuries are avoidable in training agreed. agreed and if you're not taking care of the little hurts they're going to subsequently lead to an injury and an injury like you're talking four, five, six months out of training, what what then is going to happen? Atrophy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. poor nutrition, a sedentary lifestyle. Like, what are you going to turn into? So a being ball. actively maintaining has to be the goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, and I'm also probably not even listening to my own advice half of the time, but I digress. The thought's there. The thought is there. and But the intention behind it means something. Yeah. You also know what you need to do. We just got to get you a little more consistent. I I would say. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that goes, you know, there's, there's a whole series of things that have to go into that. You have to be mentally focused to do that. You have to be nutritionally focused to do that. You have to be so stubborn with yourself and you have to hold yourself accountable. And like, again, it's much easier said than done. And like, 
I'm not even following my own advice this week. Like this week I've, I've been very, very lax. Had a, a good training night on, on Tuesday, got a little bit of motion and a little bit of movement Thursday, Friday, um, had a heavy training weekend last weekend. You and I got a good effort in. Oh yeah, then, we did. And then I was on the ice for two hours. Like I most certainly earned my calories that day, but you know, are you intentional with it? Is it four or five, you know, even six days a week? It doesn't have to be, you know, a half marathon every other day. It doesn't need to be that. It just needs to be something, something. So I had that heavy training day last weekend with you. Then I went climbing twice after the second climbing day, which was Wednesday. I had a heavy squat day, and I did some other push movements, and I'm like, I ate so much food after that. And Thursday, I'm like, ah, crap, it wasn't ready for that. So I'm like getting out of in and out of a skid steer at work going, ah, (laughs) ah. You got those those fast and slow twitch muscles both screaming at you. Oh, yeah. And like, and then I was like, oh, crap, I'm just doing a yoga today. And that was it. Yeah, but that's, that's a very intentional it's a very intentional piece of maintenance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most studies will show, like, you cannot empty your gas tank five full days a week completely. You can certainly empty some of it or even a majority of it, but you cannot go to, ex- like, excess and go to failure all of those days. You just can't do it. It's it's a... it's it's futile to do so. Like you're not going to get your incremental gains. You're not going to, yeah, you might see some really good numbers that day. Like you might even hit a PR, but are you truly setting yourself up for doing it again and again and again? And I would answer no. I I, I would argue no. Um, And I I think that most certified nutritionists or certified personal trainers would, would agree. And you have to incrementally do that. Mm -hmm. But just, uh, just a theory at this point. So. So. Um, took a year and a half off of things while you were in adjusting to life in the <laughs> Air Force. Yeah. Uh, tell me about getting back into weightlifting and tell me about what that was like in the Air Force. Because I know when I just rediscovered it in, in the Marine Corps, it was like... Um, wait, what? Like there was just, it was like a different world. Like you just exposed to different people and for sure. more new things and better training ideas and stuff like that. So uh, lead into that, bro. Absolutely. So a lot of that actually was reawakened um, on deployment. Um, we were deployed to Qatar in 2006 uh, in support of operations, uh, both enduring and Iraqi freedom. Um and so where we were, like we were right on the on the Gulf, on the border of uh, of Saudi, and we were there, <laughs> we were there January until almost June. So we went from pretty cold to just burning hot. Like when we left, it was 120, 125 degrees. You know, midday it was just brutally hot. Um, and I'm not gonna lie that that actually helped, especially with getting the water cycle in. You know water intake had to be just, you know, to the limit because mm-hmm. you're sweating so much. Um, and that really put an emphasis on that. But, um, you know, the, the shift that I was on, um, 
we were working what they called two 12 hour splits and 12 on 12 off. I know it well. Absolutely. So, and we were doing that six days a week with, uh, with one, uh, recovery day, if you will. Um, but we all know that that's not how that goes. You know, a 12 hour shift is, you know, you're on the line, whether you're pulling alert or you're doing heavy maintenance or, you know, doing, uh, quick turns or whatever, it's mission dependent. Um, so realistically, you know, we would be up at like 9.30 p.m., 21.30, and hit chow, grab a shower, get ready to process, and, like, we'd run formation and process to the other side of the compound, and, like, we'd be on the spot, yes, by 23, right? So we'd work all the way through the night, and more often than not, especially during that time, like, there was a heavy, heavy uptick of troops in contact in the middle of the night, like any SF raid that was going on, because in particular, you know, that, that time of, that time of year, two major operations were, were ongoing. Fallujah two, and then towards the end of our rotation, um, a lot of the uh, cave raids in Afghanistan, specifically on the uh, Pakistan border, uh, we helped kick off, uh, and we were the first 15 unit to ever do this, uh, we kicked off something called Operation Mountain Lion. We were dropping 2,000-pound munitions, guided laser-guided munitions into uh, cave entries and just decimating mountains that were weapons caches or launching points or muster points. So constant rotation of um, turning jets, throwing up munitions, pulling alert, troops in contact, just constant, constant pace. Um, and what was nice was if you had, if you had like a slower shift, um, we had a, a pretty nice uh, fitness layout on the inside of the compound. And I was so uncomfortable in my body, just so uncomfortable. I was, I was close to 250 pounds. And like, if you look at me now, you would kind of like really have to scrutinize me. Like, where were you carrying 250 pounds? I'm six one. Badass. Yeah, and that good. And those <laughs> those things called love handles. Like, good lord, was I a freaking chubby bastard? Um, yeah, your your spot on though is definitely in the butt. Um, but I very much dedicated myself to not overeating. Um, getting on this thing called the treadmill. Um, Figuring out that, you know, lifting weights is, is actually a, a good thing for reducing your, your body fat percentage. Um, yep. And so seven days a week, even on my, on my off day, or even if, um, even if we had to pull, you know, a series of alert, like there's one point we worked, you know, 21, 23 days in a row, didn't matter. Get off work. And the other side of this, the other side of the fitness journey is the mental fitness of it. Like that is a stress release and do you remember, like, you were a wrestler, you played football. Do you remember in the middle of a play or in the middle of grappling, like, what does your brain do? Um, it's just kind of trying to figure out the next thing to do but not remember how to do it and just do it. So you're so on a different plane. Moderately, I'd say the flow state, and so a lot of it is trying to do the reactionary things and the drills you've practiced. Correct. 
other side of it is smiling. Do you, do you think of do you think of your stressors of your day? Do you think of the minutia of your day in the midst of something like that? No, I'm thinking about um, getting through and uh, in wrestling, trying not to choke on the breathing pattern. Right, you're you're literally focused in that moment. It's the same thing with like you and I just getting our reps in with deadlift. Mm -hmm. If you think of, oh man, did I pay this bill or like, uh, like uh, did I forget to do this for my kid for school or whatever, like you're not going to succeed on that movement. You're not going to succeed on what it is that you're doing. That's why I like rock climbing so much. Yes. Yes. It's 4D chess. It's the same thing with yeah. same thing with fighting. Like in the midst of sparring, if I'm worried about, oh, did I meet this deadline for this project that I have to do at work? I'm going to get literally kicked in the face. So you have to be in that moment. But what that does is it allows your brain to detach that's that mental aspect of like, you only can focus on that thing. And on deployment, you know, the stressors of constantly, constantly being mentally engaged because you're moving around live munitions, you're moving around different flight surfaces that if you're not paying attention, if they're moving, you know, they're moving at 3,200 PSI and they weigh literal tons. They're going to hit you and you're not going to get back up. Like you're constantly. Don't forget about the intake, which on your bird is Two. low. Two. And they are, and the intakes themselves are filled with pitot tubes, little skewers, right? Same thing with the actual engine itself. So there are 13 stages. Sorry, did you say pitot? P-I-T-O-T. Pitot. Pito. No. Pito tubes. Pitot. Like tater tot. Oh, I, I know what you're saying, but you're saying it wrong. It's pronounced pedo. We can use your mini rock, paper, scissor hands, and we can duel this out. Oh, my God. You're, you're welcome. Fuck yes. <laughs> we digress once again. <laughs> anyway, if you're not paying attention, if you're not actively engaged, like either you or someone around you is going to get jacked up. And mm -hmm. if you don't have a healthy way to release that, which... You know, on home station, the healthy way to release that is with video games and Mountain Dew. And at that time, it was a lot of Sam Adams and a lot of Stouffer's macaroni and cheese. Yeah, for me, it was Miller Lite. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. I prefer the the Bush Light, but which is weird. Which is weird because I have such a profound love of craft beers and like a good IPA or a good porter, a nice stout, and a good whiskey. But like, man, oh man. Bush lattes, they just flow. They just flow. I mean, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, that was um, that was my rekindling of, hey, chubby, maybe don't be so fat. Maybe do something to extend your lifespan. And the other side of it is and was, I had a couple guys in my unit who were amateur Muay Thai kickboxers. Nice. And now were these peer group or like yeah. so your ncos no uh one one was an nco um when i met when i met him when i got to the unit um i was an e3 he was an e4 with a line to e5 so he was not yet a he was not yet an nco but he was super super great dude phenomenal athlete 6'3 220 just you know he was totally in his prime he was a double um black belt in uh taekwondo 
and traditional jujitsu. Oh, nice. The Japanese so, one? Yes. Cool. And, you know, this was, this is what, 2004? Yes. Yeah, so 2004. Um, his name is Justin. Super great guy. Super down to earth. Um, he was from uh, northern Mississippi. Uh, so he's a country boy, down to earth, super great guy, but had a, just an unrelenting work ethic in the gym. Unrelenting. Farm boy? No, just a country boy. Okay. But just, he would not be outworked. And like his striking, again, 6'3", 220, like long, lean, fast, accurate. And um, his Taekwondo skills were just, they were just superior. His kicks were just different. And it's funny that now in my gym, I have another black belt in Taekwondo. And his name is Justin. Much smaller, but kicks just just through the roof. It's ridiculous. So I was moving around um, on deployment with Justin. He was getting uh, himself ready for, um, for an open competition um, in, I want to say it was early summer, like on our return uh, for Taekwondo. So he was powerlifting. He was, his cardio training was just insane. And uh, I watched that. I'm like, man, like, dude looks phenomenal. He's always in a good mood. He has such a positive attitude. And, like, he just goes. And he doesn't stop. He just doesn't stop. And uh, he, he showed me um, he showed me some of, you know, the, the traditional uh, basics, if you will, of, of Taekwondo. And, like, not going to lie, it's very much not my style. I love to kick. I like to knee. I like all that. But the, the point system, the traditional fighting weight, like, just wasn't my flavor. And that's no disrespect. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, there. If you have someone who has that karate background or has the, you know, traditional Taekwondo background, if they're open and if they're moldable to, like, modern combat sports, they're going to be a phenomenal fighter. I I can back that up because my training partner at the gym comes from that traditional karate background, but you meld it with, like, Hapkido and Muay Thai and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and all of a sudden you have a very dangerous person who doesn't look at things in a traditional way. It's like a blended vision. Really cool. So Justin um, was, was a, a hard-hitting dude, and I was working with him a little bit, and I had another guy from California, uh, Miguel, and he was a phenomenal traditional Muay Thai fighter. And on so many steroids, it was ridiculous. Dude came to the unit like just a few months before I did, at like 135, maybe 140 pounds. Came back off of deployment at 240. Huge. Huge. Massive. Just like striations with veins and just roid rage, man. Like that guy got in some trouble too. Woo. Got in some, like, he was almost sent to the brig. Like he, um, if I remember correctly, he lost a stripe and um, had to be f like physically removed from a clinic because he punched a wall when someone told him something he didn't want to hear and literally shattered his hand. And then the doctor, oh. the doctor was like, look at you. Like, what are you taking? And he was just like, so indignant about that statement from the doctor that he had to be restrained and literally carried out. But another digression, but, um, his foundation and his, um, his foundation was traditional Muay Thai and a phenomenal striker. Just, and he wanted to get hit with 
uh, four ounce gloves. He didn't want to train with 12s, 14s, 16s. Mm-hmm. He wanted to, he wanted to be in the UFC. Like, and that was in, you know, that was in the early days. Early days, right? Like, like when the Ultimate Fighter first came I was out. Just, precisely. Like, I'm so glad you said that. That's literally like that was his goal. It was his goal to. Oh, oh that season one of the Ultimate Fighter. Like, we were in Nellis, like at oh, the finale, because no we were doing Desert Test and Eval for the Osprey. Okay. And so we were in Nellis. I was at Nellis Air Force Base watching that finale with uh, Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner. Yes, 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 yes. And then I was like, damn, that was fucking awesome. And that was just like 15 minutes away. And that was obviously on a weekend. So, like, everyone comes back from their night out on town because, you know, we're in Vegas. We're getting per diem, so it's extra money. Extra crayons. Fuck, yeah, extra crayons. And... uh, (laughs) Like everyone's there, oh my god, the strip was fucking wild after that fight. And they're like, a few dudes were like, yeah, I fucking had a beer with Stefan Bonner afterwards. I'm like, that's cool as shit. And I just sat here like a fucking dork. Did you hear he just went bankrupt? I heard Stefan Bonner died. Oh, you're right. He did die. Yeah. I think he OD'd. I think so too. I'm not sure. But like, yeah. But that was. Century. The all-time greatest fight I've ever seen. I'm like, because it's just two dudes going for a contract. Was it a hundred thousand dollar contract at the time? I think so. Yeah, I, I think I think that's right. Well, anyway, yeah. So that that spurred me into like, hey, look at look at the physicality, look at the mentality. Don't you know? Didn't necessarily copy and paste the uh, the ridiculous steroid antics, but. Like, I found something there. I found something within my own physical nature, my own mental nature. And I was halfway decent at it. Um, Not until I lost a bunch of weight because I was chubby, but I came back off of deployment. Um, I went there. I I think the heaviest um, I stepped on the scale was 247. And I came back off rotation at 204. And I felt good. Like I felt healthy again and I felt like I could, I felt like I could move, I could run, I could ruck, I could move weights if I needed to. I was still physically strong and um, I did not really stop there. Like my enlistment ended um, the following summer um, in 2007 and I started uh, my transition from active duty to the National Guard and that desire to be on a team, um, and this is this is not a slight, and I don't want it to come across. It's going to, regardless, but uh-huh. I don't want it to, to be this way. Leaving my unit was hard because, I mean, you know, you, right. you, you still have best friends. Like, I still have best friends. Moving to the National Guard, like, very different pace. The, the ops tempo from... Literally the second or the first most active F-15 unit on the planet to an inactive guard unit that does like five sorties a weekend once a month was really, really challenging. Um, was that on a different bird too? That was uh, 130 at the time. And I didn't want anything to do with the maintenance. Right. So I... You know, I, I had enrolled in our local college, and I began, um, 
I began to explore the political science side of things and look at the, the history side of things. I, I had contemplated being an attorney, um, and I actually ended up in the education uh, pipeline. And so it was a whole mix of just everything. Super slow ops tempo. Um, you know, I'd show up once a month and I'd go sit in the back office, but I had access to the gym. And at that gym, I found dudes who, once again, were just hard-hitting, like, Muay Thai guys, kickboxers. Right. And I was just like, you know what, dude? Like, it, it's time. It's time that I start ramping up my training. And I did. And I was training with these guys, and, like, one of them, um, he's actually still in the unit. I see him once every, like, three years. Um, he had spent, like, two months in Thailand and was instructed by, like, real-deal, legit crews and just brought so much... and. and this is the thing, like, you can talk to professional athletes, you can talk to pro fighters, pro hockey players, pro football players, not all of them are cerebral, and not all of them can coach, just because you can do doesn't mean you can teach, Mm -hmm. so, but he was extremely intelligent with his training, with his striking, with how he broke it down and analyzed it, and he translated that so well, uh, he was a phenomenal teacher, and, uh, I was moving with those guys for on and off for like the better part of four years and never been hit and kicked harder in my life ever. But it, it really ramped that side up uh, for me. But I was also playing a varsity sport in college. Now I had walked on to a division three college hockey team as a goalie and, and made it. And I made it. I would, you know, I, I, I wasn't, I was having this conversation actually last night, like, wasn't on the ice for four consecutive years. I didn't play any hockey, none, zero hockey, no skating, no stretching, no pucks, no velocity, nothing for four years. Uh-huh. And I still walked on and like could somewhat hang. Like I was by no means what I was in high school leading up to it, but you know I still had it. And we should also probably note you weren't were not the starter. I was not. And okay, like, I and I I will fully own that. But well, well I think everyone listening should know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, could could I have been? Maybe. Maybe. I, I would have needed, like, one more real development year to get everything back the way that it was before and to up my, to up my flexibility, up my mobility, and just, just get that sheer volume of, um, of shots on goal, like, to get me recalibrated back in. I didn't have that. And, like, really, at, at that point, you know, I was 24, about to turn 25. I'd already graduated with my bachelor's degree. I graduated with my bachelor's in two and a half years. Like, I was full full speed into uh, getting into teaching, and that's actually when I started coaching football at our high school. Woo! And that year, we won a Far West Regional Championship. Nice. And so staying in the in the college world of you know trying to play college sports and you know try to to make a name in division three like there was no point and I was good with that I'm I'm very much at peace with that um because that's what led us essentially here yes um but that's a another lesson on the fitness journey and that's something that now you know 
again, for the, for the listeners who are on the edge of their seats waiting for the next drop of knowledge, uh, <laughs> um, my profession uh, is in education, and I'm actually an administrator. I'm a, I'm a high school principal, and I try to up the level of everyone around me, whether it's my, my faculty, my staff, my students, their parents, like having very real conversations because if any or many of you have noticed, like society has kind of lost its grip on reality. And that's a yeah. whole, that's a different rabbit hole, man. And like, we don't have single malt scotch in front of us and we're not going to do that. But I say all that to say, if you are a high school athlete and you think that you have an opportunity to go to the next level and if you're from a small town and you're the best athlete there it doesn't matter you don't understand what it takes to go to the next level you just don't if let's let's take football if okay. you're if you're going to be a college football player even at the um the junior college level those are feeder programs that have legitimate Division One athletic talent embedded in them, like that's that's a that's a truth. Mm-hmm. There are legitimate Division One athletes, even at our local uh, ECC. There are legitimate Division One caliber athletes right there. The difference is they have piss poor attitudes. They don't succeed in the classroom. They refuse to follow rules and norms. And they don't put in the amount of work that it takes to be a true pro. And that's, that's a line that you know, I attempt to say even to my small town kids and their parents. Like, you might have a real gift for your athletic ability. That might be very true. But do you put in the work six days a week? Are you in the weight room six days a week? Are you academically engaged six days a week? Are you putting in extra effort with your cardio, with your physio, with your recovery, with your nutrition? Do you have a coachable attitude? And if the answer to any of those is even maybe, like, what are we talking about? Because you, you won't make it. And then there's film study on top of that, too, and, like, researching. I want to say that enemy because it's the easy word to think of at the moment but the opposition like yeah yeah you have to like do a lot of research on all that too not just go i'm just gonna go out there and play and see what happens absolutely no that's how i lift weights now that i'm almost 40 dude you and i you and i literally do the same thing for each other in the basement like yeah if if we're going after a pr or if we're going after a goal like if i'm doing a movement i've i've videoed you on deadlift or squats multiple times Mm -hmm. you've done the same and like we've literally gone back and analyzed are you using proper form are you using violence of action are you properly hydrated yeah what did you tell me last week is like your hips looked weird on that lift i'm like yeah it felt weird he's like yeah like you were shifted to one side i'm like that's not good i'm done so you recalibrate yep and and you figure it out but you do that through being meticulous with everything that you do and again like it's easy for me to say on a podcast, like I'm sitting here in our gym and like we're having this conversation. Am I properly hydrated right now? I'm not. 
neither am I. Am I, did I have the proper nutrients this morning to truly get after it? No, because I went to a pancake breakfast and I've had five cups of coffee. I've had two cups of coffee and half a glass of water. I've, I have had a glass of water too, but like all of these things are easier said than done. But at the same point, like I, I already am a working professional. I am a professional. Mm-hmm. I'm just not a professional athlete. Now I'm coaching. True. Right. I have my profession on the side. I'm coaching potential future professional athletes. And I'm telling them all the same things that I'm saying here and now. What, what are you doing to set yourself apart? And if you're not doing those things, what's the point? You're either going to go full send, do it, or you're just you're playing a game for fun. What's the point? If you want to have fun, cool, awesome. Do you want to step into a cage and get kicked right in the teeth just for fun just for fun i mean don't get me wrong like there's definitely an element of fun well yeah they're absolutely like getting hit and knowing that you can stand there and take a kick or a punch or a knee to anywhere on your body or head and like be able to smile through it there's something to be said about that well not only that but adrenaline is fun i don't care what anyone says oh absolutely oh yeah absolutely why do people like doing adrenaline sports? I'm like, because it's fucking awesome. Because uh, adrenaline. Like, yeah. if you ever had that ride, like, you know. Have you experienced an adrenaline dump where you're like, oh, shit. And you're like, I reacted based off of prior knowledge of doing things, and it fucking worked out, and I smiled like a bastard. And this is like, right. holy crap. Right, and it all reverts back to, like, you fall back on your worst training day. Mm-hmm. Like, your body and your brain revert back to your very worst training day. So, yes. what is, are you making your worst training day get better? And is that is that a goal? Did you even know that that should be a goal? I've heard it said before that you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to the level of your training. And I would argue, and I would suggest that you fall back to your worst training day ever. Now, are there, are there exceptions to that? Absolutely. Because if foundationally you are, again, if you are exceedingly good at something, naturally gifted at something, you're going to fall back to that natural state. I'm but, probably not going to worry about the naturally talented guy. I'm going to worry about the guy that's not naturally talented, that works way fucking harder Absolutely. to be as good as the naturally talented guy. <clears throat> Absolutely. And like, again, th- this goes back to even the enhanced athletes. Mm-hmm. Like Seth Ferrosi said it beautifully. That guy might be on gear. Absolutely. That guy might be on five different types of gear. And that's why he looks the way that he does. That's why he moves the way that he does. And that's why he lifts as much as he does. The difference is... You could run those same five pieces of gear and you're not going to look and act like him because he will outwork you six fucking days a week. He will put you to shame every single day that he's in that weight room. You could run everything the exact same. Same nutrition, same hydration, and same supplements. Does not matter. That person is going to outwork you. They will outclass you. And that's something that I constantly, constantly feed my athletes in my gym. 
What are you doing here and now that's going to set you apart from your opponent? And if you're not doing that extra, like you're wasting your own time. Because it's not my time. Like I still enjoy doing this. Right. You know, like I, I literally do this as a hobby. So if it's an actual goal that you're setting, are you outworking everyone else? And if you're not, the question is why? Are you unable or are you unwilling? Really comes down to those two things. Yeah. Neither one are neither one are great, by the way. Oh no. But one's one's workable and the other one's we have to maybe reassess. Unwilling is not a fun one to work with because that's the one that nobody wants to work with. And then that is definitely the what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. Uh, unable, we can get you better. I, I won't say I think me or anyone else could make you able, but we could make you 1% better today, 1% better tomorrow, put you in a better <clears> position. <throat> Absolutely. And incrementally, even 1% of 1% begins to add up and it begins to equate to things. Mm -hmm. So I'll take Have you ever like pulled out a calculator and like whatever your starting number is 50 or a hundred or whatever, and then multiply it by 1.01, which is 1%. And then you just keep pressing the button, just press the button and count how many times it takes to get to like whatever number you want to get it to. It's like, it's a fun game to play. I do it at work randomly where I'm just like, I wonder how many times, like if you start with a thousand and you do it at 1.2, like multiply by 1.2, you can get to a million in like 13 or 15 tries. Right. It's like, it's it, fuck, it's awesome. Right. It's it's the same with like trying to add musculature to your your physique or reduce your body fat percentage. Like you don't have to do it all at once. Like you're not going to get that meteoric of a rise no. though with musculature physique. Like that's that's a slow build. Has to be. It's the same thing with incremental weight loss. Like oh yeah. Or even trying to like increase your deadlift from 200 to 300 or three to four, four to five. Like you're talking like, this is a slow build. If you put on five pounds on that bar a week consistently, you are fucking phenomenal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. It's good. Fuck yeah, it is. I like this theme. Yeah. So. You went into the Air Force. Why the Air Force? Because <laughs> you are um, 6'2", 225, built beautifully, strong fucking, great-looking fucking dude. And obliged. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, people would have thrown underwear at you, men <laughs> and women, if you were in dress blues, Marine Corps dress blues. The reality is when, when we enlisted, um, my parents wouldn't sign the Marine Corps. They would not sign the Marine Corps paperwork. Okay. Um, again, post 9-11 world, mm-hmm. everyone's getting rotated. And like, I just wanted to go. I wanted to like, I wanted to be wherever. And you had your recruiter was over by the movie theater. Yes. And I actually met you over there one of the days. And I got the paperwork, talked to the guy. Like, dude, this is awesome. This is awesome. And I brought it home. And I had, you know, I'd spoken to all four branches at that time. I wanted nothing to do with the Navy. Uh, I don't want to be on a ship for six, eight, ten months at a time. I just, I don't want to do it. Um, I had toured. um, You ever been to the Buffalo Naval Yard? 
Yes, because my sister was there. Okay. You ever walk on those on those vessels? The little ships? Yeah. Yeah. So how comfortable are those? Not very comfortable. I've also been on an LHD for two weeks, which is the smaller aircraft carriers, the amphibious yep. ones. How comfortable was that? I didn't enjoy it. Right. It was the worst two weeks in Marines. Right. So like... It's actually the two weeks that made me go, yeah, I don't think this is right for me. Because of not the sleeping portion, but um, working on the deck of a carrier at night. Not fun. And it was relatively calm waters. Sketchy? I was on the tail of an oh, Osprey. Yep. Past the safety nets. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. It was... It was, I was doing something really dumb too. Like it was not like a hard task. Like it was, I think I was like sealing a panel up on the tail for the rudder actuator. Like I, I was not doing anything hard. And I was just like, oh crap. Not for you. Nope. Like, so, yeah. It, I mean, and like I had a safety harness and everything. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. I'm just like, Looking down, I'm just like, I don't see the water, but I can hear it, and I roughly know how high it is because I was smoking a cigarette on the catwalks earlier because that's where you smoke a cigarette on the boat is out on the catwalks underneath the flight deck. And that's during the day is where you're allowed to smoke. At night, you have to go all the way down to the bottom to have a cigarette inside because you can obviously, you know, tactically, like you yep. can see a cigarette from yep. two miles away. Yep. Like, Yep, so they don't want people out at night smoking cigarettes or falling overboard. Fair enough. So uh, that's why no Navy. Yeah. Army, no. Just their mentality didn't speak to me. Um, I wanted to be around aircraft. Like, I wanted to be on an aircraft. And was fascinated. Um, I was fascinated with fighter jets. and As you very well should be. They're and, awesome. And, so, and I ended up uh, doing exactly that. I ended up working on... A really cool airframe um but yeah the the long and the short of it was uh my my family was not super keen on um me ending up infantry or something in the meat grinder and like okay fair enough to a point um yeah they, they wouldn't sign the paperwork my dad's like yeah man f find something different and again you know i was only 17 at the time and like i very much wanted um I very wanted, very much wanted my my future post high school to be like signed, sealed, delivered. Like I, I had enlisted in November uh, of our senior year. Yeah, it was October. Yeah, and I was right after. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to do you know, the college exploration or any of that. Like I wasn't going to be good at it right then and there. Um, so, yeah, like many. <laughs> Many people find my mentality to be very, um, very extra for uh, for being prior um, active duty Air Force. But again, like our unit was the most active fighter unit at one point, literally in the world, when I was in that unit, mm -hmm. and you know, that breeds that breeds an intensity unto itself. Like it, it's just that. Just well, I would of. say fighter units, because, like, you know, we have the 18s and uh, AH-1, not the Hueys, AH-1 Cobras. Cobras. Yeah. Uh, so dudes from those units that I met in the aircraft world 
far more squared away because, oh, we also have the Harrier AV-8B. Um, yeah, dudes from the fighter units and uh, in the Harrier's case is also an escort. Uh, so actually also AH-1s are escorts for helicopters too. But fighter gunships and fighter aircraft of any sort, like those dudes are squared away because the pilots need them fucking squared away. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, because you don't have, you don't have room for error. Yeah. You just don't. And, you know, we were in at a very unique time. And the, even, even active duty Air Force at that point had really f- had a foundational and fundamental shift on who and what they were. Um, in particular, like, because of the places that we knew, well, I didn't know at the time, um, but our, our head shed at that point had figured out, like, we were going to go into places where the traditional, you know, Air Force world would not have been, well, ad- adapted to. Like, what, what if you have an in-flight emergency, you know, over Balad, Iraq, which, oh, wait, we did. So you have to send maintainers to Balad that, you know, they call it Mortaritaville. Like, mm-hmm. you need to be able to render aid or um, you need to be able to, like, legitimately, what if you have to return fire? Like, and I was, I was that guy who, you know, took every single training opportunity. Like, we, our, our unit went through uh, urban combat. We went through... Uh, a different uh, school of, of marksmanship. We went through um, tactical unit training. Um, I had gone through convoy training. I was actually uh, slotted uh, to go convoy uh, in 2005, right before our spin-up, uh, before my orders got pulled. So, like, I got to go and learn from security forces, like, how to drive in column and how to, you know, get out of a vehicle and engage um, you know, hostile forces, like, so it was very different, <clears throat> very different. Um, the non, well, and again, I, I said this phrase last night, it was a very non-traditional, uh, traditional career field in the Air Force. Like, mm-hmm. there was nothing about it that was traditional. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that because it, it gave me, you know, a love for tactics, a love for um, different weapons platforms and like, got to do things that most people who you know would look and be like oh well yeah you're just a just a pussy airman like no dude like we did close quarters combat like we we did things on a different level where you know are are, are we you know are we real pipe hitters like no like let's be real let's have a, a real conversation but if if shit hit the fan would you take me in a gunfight oh fuck yeah absolutely because i know how to shoot i know how to move i know how to communicate and um, I went through, uh, one of the most fun trainings I went through was uh, post-attack reconnaissance. And I actually went through the instructor school for that uh, and taught post-attack reconnaissance for three years in the guard. Um, it's where you walk around looking for unexploded ordnance after an attack. Oh, nice. So I was on a PAR team, and like that was, that was one of my additional duties. Same thing with uh, TCCC. At that point, it was like buddy care. Uh, mm-hmm. So like... Combat and what does TCCC stand for? Uh, so TCCC is for the uh, tactical, uh, 
putting me on the spot. I can't freaking remember the, the critical care element of it. Um, Tactical combat, critical care, but basically it's someone got injured taking care of them. Uh, it's a gunshot or shrapnel wound. Yes. Like you need to be able to render aid and get them ready for either medevac or hopefully if you have a unit with uh, a trauma surgeon or a flight surgeon or a corpsman, like they can get to them and actually render aid to the point that they save their life. Right. So stabilize, get yes. them to a higher level or unit of care. Correct. Got it. So, yeah, that was a uh, very different, very different uh, path than most would have uh, would have thought. But once again, that's what brings us here. That's what got me to where I am. So it's pretty cool. It's, fuck yeah, man. Yeah, I would have rather had you in the Marine Corps with me, just going. Well, this sucks, but at least we suck together. But also, I wouldn't want you working on the Osprey because... Yeah, no thanks. It wasn't bad to work on. I just didn't do anything because I literally didn't get deployed because it was non-operational, and then they burnt me out. So all of that stuff, feeding in, feeding in. You're working in the world of education now. You've got way more education by books than... I do and magical pieces of paper that say you do, but I get to I work have, outside and I'm far happier. I have four pieces of paper that say that I'm smart. I have a high school diploma. You have no, you have an associate. Oh, that's right. I do have my, I forgot about my associates, my associates of business. I mean, which unto itself is pretty cool. I don't have that. Yeah. Well, I guess I can do business things. So all this feeds in, feeds in, feeds in. Um, and this has helped develop your mindset. And where does this help you arrive at and to help propel people higher, maybe even? So that's a really good question. And that's, uh, that's something that I hope to exploit in the coming months, years of perhaps venturing into my own uh, company or at least in a, a limited capacity um, of, of doing more coaching. Um, specifically in the uh, in the combat sports world, but also in the um, perhaps in the in the weight training, get back in, you know get back into the, the the fitness lifestyle type of of coaching and the the mindset and mentality coaching, and that's you know that's something I literally do ten hours a day um, running a running a school building. Uh, it's constantly putting out little fires and constantly you know finding ways to you know light new ones of you know, getting people to be better today than they were yesterday. And mm -hmm. that's, that's really what it, it boils down to. Whether, whether you're in the, the fitness lifestyle, the combat sports lifestyle, the collision sports lifestyle, or just trying to make yourself better lifestyle. Like that's, that's something that very much appeals to me. And that's something that I feel like I, I genuinely need um, I need to be a part of. So that's kind of where this is uh, hopefully headed. Nice. Yeah. What are you going to do with it? What am I going to do with what? Mindset and tenacity? Yeah. <sighs> right now I'm just trying to get a bunch of new, newer coworkers spooled up and that's kind of like my testing ground for like talking to people. And one of the biggest things I've discovered is um, 
like a lot of what we do is like building the fucking sites we do. And a lot of them are just building it by the blueprints and the drawings and stuff we have, but they don't know why. It's like, well, why are we doing this? I'm like, this is what we do in this. And it's just like, hey, how they designed this, we, we actually don't want it like this. We want to do this. And so, so we want this, and here's the reasons. Is there, is there a segue from that mentality and that mindset to you moving more towards like a supervisor's role? I probably will eventually. I've been making a very good case for it the last few years, but I also haven't really wanted it. So what shift? Because they have the golden handcuffs on me, but they're just paying me ridiculous amounts of money to keep doing what I'm doing at a very high level. And what's going to eventually happen is um, the older generation of the people that I started with 12 years ago, they're going to time out eventually. Like a bunch of them already have. And so the question, I guess, is who's going to replace them? I will be an obvious choice for some categories, but not all. Like construction management in the field, like I can have that all day. The project management and dealing with the client, I can talk to them when they come on site and tell them what we're doing and why we're doing it, but I don't want to deal with contracts. And The be, actual pieces of paper and the actual negotiations behind them? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't want to deal with that. I just want to order pipe, put it together, play with electricity, put it into the ground, get in, get out. How much longer is the body going to support that? Uh, I'm not sure, but I'm going to do that to the best of my ability for the longest as I can. And that's why I do things the way I do, which is, uh, keep the body strong, keep the body lean, keep the body limber. So that's weights, uh, occasional endurance work, which is, uh, assault bike or running, hiking, hiking and running at the same time, uh, rucking, which is, you know, just putting on a backpack and walking, and uh, rock climbing just because it's fun and a great way to break things up. And one of the things which I actually learned when I was uh, drinking myself out of uh, community college right after the Marine Corps was yoga. I fucking love yoga because it's a structured way to do the stretching, which is the other side of the weightlifting, so you contract the muscle. You need to relax it. It's just like anything else, but you're doing it in a set, structured way. We need to get you back into combat sports. Oh, definitely. I grew up doing uh, kung fu, and yes, I do want to get back into it. I grew up wrestling, too, so I like thought in my head, I'm like, I can go in and combine these two in my head. I don't have any idea what I'm doing trying to combine the two, but I can do the two things separately. It's a valid take on it. And, yeah. and I definitely have a couple clients, if you will, fighters in the gym who are very good separately and individually. Mm -hmm. I was the exact opposite. Like, I'm not a super great grappler. I'm good. I can certainly hold my own. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is just from foundational strength. Um, but tactically, I'm not a very cerebral grappler like people see openings and th things when you're removed from it like I can I can do that I can coach someone through a move 
But when I actually myself am grappling, like all I want to do is just squeeze the life out of someone. So I'm not a very cerebral grappler. Um, that's, that's a goal. Um, kickboxing is very different. Like that's, that's where, especially K1 style or Muay Thai style. If I can incorporate standing grappling and sweeps and like a hip toss while also punching, kicking, kneeing, like that's, that's where it's at. I'm good at that. I'm good at coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very good at analyzing and breaking down structured approaches to dismantling an opponent. And that's, that's something that sets our gym very much apart. Like we train the traditional to break the traditional. So if we have a very traditional opponent coming from another gym that has like a very strong karate or a very strong Taekwondo or a very strong Muay Thai traditional background, like we take a very hybrid approach to dismantling and exploiting the weaknesses from each of those disciplines Mm -hmm. and like melding those things together just, just comes naturally both in practice and in theory. And that's why I love it's, as you said earlier, it's 4d chess. Like you have to be mentally and physically in sync to make it happen. And the rest of the world just turns off. It's the coolest thing. Fuck yeah. It's the coolest thing. Nothing Nothing else. matters when you're on the wall or in your case in a ring. Well, and, and like even, even now as, as a coach, like we just had a really big event. Um, I think it was three weeks ago. And, you know, I, I did the walkout with my fighter and you know, there's 1,200 people, 1,000 people. Um, Slayer blaring through the music. I don't know if it was really doing that. I think it was an Eminem song for the walkout. Eh, that's okay too. Not bad. But like the, the craziest, the craziest things happen. Like as you're, as you're getting up to the cage, like people are screaming, cheering, all this stuff, right? Like it's loud. It's crazy. It's chaos in there. And even now as a coach, like all of that goes away. Like it's not tunnel vision and it's not silence, but tinnitus might be some of that. Like, does it sound like that? We're just kind of like quiet, but it's like you hear a noise, but it's like, if you don't hear the roar, that's a good analysis. Actually, like you're definitely aware that there's noise and volume around you. But it's almost like indiscernible. You can't hear one thing in particular. And like, so walking up to the cage and like, you know, applying the grease on the fighter and like giving that little pep talk. I don't hear anything else. I don't think about anything else. It's gone. And for those minutes that the rounds are taking, again, you're aware of the noise, you're aware of the volume, but there's nothing, nothing else on the mind. Don't worry about worry about anything you're so laser focused Mm -hmm. on that one task and my fighter and again something that we do differently even when we spar we debrief after every round like it's the same thing as like when you and i uh either share a debrief after a movement or you journal right yeah so i for everyone listening i journal how my workout went and how it made me feel and thoughts on it after 99% of them. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I've taken that practice and I've put it into speech and we debrief after every round. Like, what did you learn? Like, if I limit them to using only um, a certain technique or a certain strategy during that three-minute sparring round, what did you learn about that? What was useful? And tell me what was completely useless about it. Take the useless, throw it away. But take something that you learned and put it in your arsenal. I will say one thing I have noticed lately, because I send you my workouts and my afterthoughts, is I've been getting a lot out of watching other people in the gym too and like, you know, just kind of like taking the energy of it and like applying it. Like the one I did the other day where it's like I saw like a younger kid just moving wildly and fucking trying to throw weights on a cable machine that he obviously wasn't ready for. And I'm just like, what the fuck? And then the dude next to me is like doing proper warm ups, like just the fucking bar going through all the motions on squats correctly. And I'm just like, fuck yeah. And then he just like loads up. It wasn't an absurd amount. And then he's just like moving it beautifully, did his sets and reps by the book and like on the money and all the stuff and like he was wearing a shirt that said like boston college lacrosse team or something like that i'm just like fuck yeah like disciplined as fuck i'm like here i am somewhere in the middle just kind of like feeling like i'm somewhere in there where i'm like eh, maybe i put on a little more weight than i should have on the bar but i still did the movements but i just kind of felt the workout out and i did sets and reps and i'm just like but there's okay. and there's validity in that and there's two points i'm going to make off of that yeah back to Back to a point that you made, you're, you're watching other people do the motion and in your brain, you're theoretically finding strengths and weaknesses in their movement. Mm -hmm. And I've seen, and I've even seen in your debriefs, how you've applied that to a coaching strategy. And that's right. something that we, that's a part of that reflection side in the gym where I make them coach each other because you learn. I was going to ask yes. that. So we make them coach each other. So the end of Tuesday's rounds, we went for a full hour 45. And the last, I think it was eight rounds. It was either eight or 10 rounds. I had each fighter hold mitts for everyone else in the gym. And during those, those movements and during those rounds, for the whole time, the whole duration of the, of the three minutes, they had to call the combos. They had to correct any mistakes that they saw. And they had to give a combination that they thought suited the body style and the techniques that the training partner possesses. That's beautiful. And then after, again, it's only a 30-second share out. But like mm -hmm. in those 30 seconds, like, hey, I saw you were pivoting wrong. Like maybe put some more weight on that back foot as you pivot through. Or transition your, your balance point to the ball of your foot when you're throwing that kick. And stop telegraphing it. I see it coming every single time. So that other fighter then is like, oh, yeah, I didn't really think about that. So we get good at coaching each other. And what that results in is you're critically analyzing your training partner, but then you apply that and you're actually critically analyzing your opponent during a fight. You're then watching. Well, you're analyzing more and more and more so you can analyze faster and faster and faster. Precisely. So your brain is going at a higher speed than your opponent is because you're so used to coaching, correcting, giving advice, and calling combos that now you're so, like, you can just flow. And that goes back to the second point that I wanted to make. You fall back on your training. 
right? You're not going to, you're not going to fall back on anything else. You're going to see like, you're going to see those analytics and you're going to see those techniques and strategies actually be put into play. And my fighter shared something on the debrief after his fight. It was a 22 second knockout. Yes. One, right? Let me in on this one. So those were a very brief 22 seconds. It took so much longer to warm up, weigh in, do the promotion, do all the things, do the code. Like all of that was hours, hours and hours and hours, plus the months of training camp Mm -hmm. for 22 seconds. But he said something profound. So on the debrief, you know, he got knocked down within the first three seconds of the fight. They threw, um, they both threw kicks at the same exact time. Mm -hmm. But my fighter is a southpaw. And where it landed, he was on the short end of the leverage point. So he, they both landed their kicks, but he got essentially knocked down just because of leverage. Mm -hmm. He wasn't hurt, wasn't harmed, didn't lose a point, but he stood up. And because his brain was so focused, he didn't hear the noise. He didn't hear everyone, the crowd react. And he himself didn't overreact. He sat in the pocket and threw a fury of hands, threw a beautiful kick, and then went back to a combo. And I'm glad that he did because it ended with an uppercut that put this dude out, right? But he said something profound. He's like, for this fight, this is his third. Mm -hmm. He's like, for this fight, I just felt different. I felt centered. I felt calm. I felt like my mind and my body were operating as one rather than my mind being on the promotion and the hype and the crowd and like all the, all the other shit that goes into the fighting game. His mind and his body were focused on one task, not the pictures, not the press, not the Instagram shares, none of that crap. He was just focused on winning and throwing good combinations. And he didn't hear any of the noise for the first time ever. Cause his other two fights, he was like, Oh man, like I was jittery. Cause I heard the crowd and I, you know, I heard people yelling and like I heard specific phrases and I heard you calling combos from the corner. This time he didn't hear anything. He's Not like, even you. I didn't have, I barely had. Well, I guess 22 it's seconds, 22 seconds, right? Like if we were two minutes and 22 seconds into you know, a first or a second round out of a three-minute round, like, you better hear the combos that I'm calling or the corrections that I'm trying to make from the corner. Um, but we didn't even get to that point because all the rest of it had turned off and he was just laser-focused. Awesome. But that process of making him debrief that and making him share that had a little light bulb moment for him. And He's like, oh, I didn't understand what you were talking about until now, and now I get it. So... Mm-hmm. Cool moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you have any closing thoughts? This was this was a cool practice. This was a cool process. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll I, get to the bottom of something eventually. But that's the thing. We have lots of space and time. This is very true. Lots of space and time. Um, closing thoughts. I want to see how this process plays out for this training camp. Um, we're in the, we're in the fight cycle right now. We have about a month and a half, two months until, uh, we have another fight card and, uh, I myself am training with my fighters and training my body to get, uh, back into 
uh, a better shape and trying to keep my mindset focused on, you know, closing this, this spring out in a positive way. So, um, closing thoughts are, I want to see how these practices actually come to fruition through the month of April. And maybe we do, maybe we do a recap, you and I. I'm in. So that's my closing thought. All right. And if we have any, uh, fighters of yours that we want to get on here, we'll, we'll try for that too. We'll see if, uh, we'll see if we have a couple title runs and maybe do a, do a debrief. Oh, that'd be great. It's awesome. All right, man. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to this and I'm also looking forward to, uh, attending a few of those, uh, Saturday morning camps with you. It's going to be awesome. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Gonna grind that shit out. Yes. Love it. Love it. All right. All right. Laters. Later. Later.